It's Friday, February 12th, 2021. And from the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, this is the Pennsylvania Legacies Podcast. I'm Josh Rollerson. Well, you've heard us say it before, and it's still true. The economics of power generation are changing. Clean and renewable energy sources keep getting cheaper, while at the same time, market forces continue to make traditional fossil-based generation increasingly untenable. One way or another, the electricity sector will decarbonize. The big question is how soon and how to maximize benefits and cost savings for Pennsylvania. Still, momentum aside, building anything from scratch is expensive. And at the moment, there's still plenty of inertia to be overcome before the clean energy transition can really take off. Well, one way to help things along is for a region's biggest energy consumers, often institutions like hospitals, universities, and governments, to leverage their purchasing power and create upfront demand. That's essentially what Pennsylvania's second largest county has done by signing a 35-year power purchase agreement, funding construction of a new low-impact hydropower facility on the Ohio River, just downstream from Pittsburgh. Allegheny County Executive Rich Fitzgerald made the announcement last week. We're going to be locally producing the energy, uh, the electricity energy, that's going to run our facilities in county government. Not only does this deal move Allegheny County closer to its goal of using 100% renewable energy, it also contributes to the local economy. And it helps make the whole region more sustainable and less susceptible to disruption. The best part? This hydro station will be built on top of an existing lock and dam structure, which means its environmental impact will be all but non-existent. Not for nothing, this approach is also considerably cheaper than building a brand new plant. And that's extra nice when you consider the celebrated longevity of hydropower facilities generally, which can run smoothly for decades with even minimal upkeep. Its developer says this one will still be cranking out carbon-free electricity long after it's paid for itself. And because hydro plants don't need fuel, long-term operating costs are not an issue. We'll take a closer look at the deal and what it means for the county just ahead on this episode. But first, let's take a moment to catch up on some recent environmental news headlines from around the state. PEC Communications Coordinator Lily Jones has the update. Governor Tom Wolf's 2021-22 budget offers a glimpse at how revenues from the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative, REGI for short, could be directed to help Pennsylvania communities weather the transition to a clean energy economy. REGI is a regional cap-and-trade market currently made up of 11 northeastern states. By linking its electricity sector with the market, estimates suggest Pennsylvania could reap nearly $2 billion by 2030. Under the governor's plan, those dollars would go into a state-administered trust fund to provide direct support for workers made jobless by the closure of coal-fired power plants. The funds would also be targeted to foster economic opportunities in environmental justice communities, whose residents have suffered disproportionate impacts from pollution and development in the past. The idea for an energy communities trust fund is one of several in the proposal focused on removing barriers to success for working families. In his pre-recorded budget address last week, Wolf emphasized the need for investments in workforce and infrastructure. I mean, not just roads and bridges, but infrastructure projects ranging from broadband internet in rural communities to getting lead and asbestos out of our school buildings. The governor's proposal comes just weeks after the close of the public comment period on Pennsylvania's proposed entry into REGI. It also suggests investments in greenhouse gas abatement, as well as energy efficiency and renewable energy programs to help reduce air pollution in Pennsylvania. 
Meanwhile, a new report estimates that public investment in renewable energy, conservation, and restoration projects could create thousands of new jobs in Pennsylvania. A coalition of groups in four Appalachian states commissioned the report, which was prepared by the Political Economy Research Group. Co-author Robert Pollan says that the jobs would come from a number of programs and sectors. If you combine the programs, the clean energy and the land restoration, agriculture, infrastructure, manufacturing, we're looking at about 240 to 250,000 jobs. Researchers looked at recommendations put forward by Reimagine Appalachia for fighting climate change while building economic security for workers and families. After two months and more than 16,000 votes cast, the Shenango River is Pennsylvania's 2021 River of the Year. The announcement came last week from the Department of Conservation and Natural Resources and PECS affiliate, the Pennsylvania Organization for Watersheds and Rivers. The Shenango, located in northwestern Pennsylvania, claimed the title with 5,436 votes, beating out four other finalists. The other rivers nominated for River of the Year were the Lehigh River and the Buffalo, Loyalhanna, and Tunkhannock Creeks. The organization that nominated the Shenango River, the Shenango River Watchers, will receive a $10,000 grant to run celebratory activities throughout the year, including a commemorative River of the Year sojourn. President Brandi Barrow says she hopes the award will help boost publicity for the Shenango River Watchers. We want to bring people out here to, to experience the Shenango River, to experience the Shenango Valley and what we have to offer. The River of the Year has been awarded annually since 1983. While a number of other rivers have won the honor more than once, this is a first for the Shenango River and the Shenango River Watchers. Finally, on February 1st, it was reported that one of the endangered piping plovers from Presque Isle State Park was spotted in Florida at Honeymoon Island State Park, where it had migrated for the winter. A master naturalist in Florida reported the sighting to Pennsylvania Environment Digest. In 2017, piping plovers returned to nest in Pennsylvania for the first time since the 1950s. They have nested at Presque Isle every year since. This past year, a pair successfully fledged four chicks, helping to grow the fragile population. Let's hope our stretch of Lake Erie's shore will continue to be a destination for these endangered species in future years. For Pennsylvania Legacies, I'm Lily Jones. Allegheny County is getting into the power generation business. Rye Development is set to break ground later this year on a new low-impact hydropower station at the Emsworth Main Channel Dam on the Ohio River. With funding from a 35-year purchase agreement by the county, the plant is expected to begin supplying zero-carbon electricity to the county courthouse, jail, and other government operations as early as 2023. Here to talk more about it are Allegheny County Executive Rich Fitzgerald and the CEO of Rye Development, Paul Jacob. Gentlemen, welcome to Pennsylvania Legacies. Great to have you here. Good to be here with you, Josh. Thanks. Great. Thanks, Josh. I appreciate the invite. It's great to be here. I'm interested in where the idea for for this purchase agreement began. Can you talk about the origins a little bit? When did you start looking at this idea? What were you trying to accomplish at the outset? And what brought you to Hydro as the solution? Well, since the very beginning of my administration, going back uh, nine years ago, um, we were always looking for more ways to do sustainable projects and for the county government 
to be more sustainable. We were one of the very first ones to sign on to the Green Building Alliance, for example, um, way back when. And we're proud of the fact that we, we've been able to get even some of our private developers interested in this. Uh, where this specific project started to really get to fruition was uh, watching the University of Pittsburgh a couple of years ago uh, signed a, an agreement in which they were going to use the hydro power at the Highland Park Dam to generate a lot of the electricity for their for their campus. They're our biggest uh, university in, in Allegheny County. Um, obviously, a lot of buildings, a lot of classroom and dorms and all the different things that a, that a major university would have. Um, we initially wanted to just join on with that uh an announcement and be part of that, but they were basically uh, consuming all of the the power that was generated because they have such such needs. So we started looking how can we do a similar thing. Um, so the county manager and my chief of staff and our sustainability director began going through all of these. Uh, how can we do this? And we we came you know with Rye and uh, came up with basically something that's similar to the University of Pittsburgh and getting off of as much fossil fuels as we can to use hydro to power our county buildings. Well, it's so fascinating to see how these things seem to take on a life of their own and, and sort of snowball. I want to address that a little bit later on, but first, can we set the table with some details about uh, this project itself, how much uh, of the county's electricity will ultimately be produced there, and whatever other uh, numbers you got for me, whether that's cost savings, economic impacts. Well, let, let me, and then Paul can certainly jump in. He knows a lot of this. I believe this is about a 17.8 megawatt hydropower facility. And what, it, what it'll mean is all of the county buildings, our courthouse, our jail, our nursing homes, our office buildings, et cetera, are going to go from about 35 or 40 percent of the power that we generate uh, using traditional power plant operations in which over 90 percent and probably closer to 100 percent of the electricity that lights and powers our buildings will come from hydro. Now, what does that mean to in putting in some sort of a context? Well, every year that's about the power of 3,400 homes, the average home uh, here in Allegheny County. Um, over the lifetime, uh, we're looking at taking over a million tons of carbon out of the atmosphere that would be generated through through normal power production, which would be about 2.6 billion miles of a car, the average car driving. So significant savings to our to our planet. I'd like to know more about hydropower as a technology and specifically the idea of low-impact hydropower. Uh, I understand there is a certification process that Rye is pursuing. What makes low-impact hydro low-impact, and how does it actually generate electricity? Yeah, so when we think about low-impact hydro, what we're really talking about is, is you know, in our case, is new hydro on existing dams. So as in this project at Emsworth, um, there's an existing dam that was built for an essential purpose and is being maintained for that purpose. So in this case, you know, the, the dams along the Ohio and Allegheny and the Mon were, were really built primarily for transportation and they're maintained for transportation by the Army Corps. So that's sort of the first step is that, you know, what, whatever was done on that river historically has already been done and the dam is in place, it exists. And it's not going anywhere. It's being it's being maintained and, and kept up to, to 
up to date by the Army Corps and is in constant use. And given that, adding hydropower to it means that it has very little impact on the local environment. And as part of our licensing process, what we've got to do with the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission and also with the Army Corps is to step through what those impacts will be. So we've got to study the aquatic life, the hydrology in the river itself, terrestrial life, impacts on cultural resources, um, recreational resources, and sort of look at the, the entire spectrum of what this project can do to the environment, um, broadly speaking, as it's, as it's constructed and then as it's operational. And really the standard that we're held to is that it, it really either can't have a significant impact or it has to result in a net improvement, which is really the, the appropriate standard. So when we say low impact, it's really measured that way. And the, the, the certification that we have that we'll be applying for is in the Low Impact Hydro Institute, which is a, a, um, a group that was set up by, the, by a number of NGOs, which sit on its board to really monitor this and set kind of a standard for you know, what, what actually is low impact. And the standards that, that they set forth are ones that we're comfortable our projects will continue to meet. I see. So let's zoom in on the Emsworth site then and, and talk about like what, why this location, in addition to the fact that there's already a dam there, so right away that's a plus, but why, why Emsworth? Why is this well-suited for hydro? Yeah, so I, I think as, as we looked at that, and, and to me, you know, the, the first time I saw that site, I got really excited because, you know, you, you look around Neville Island and what you see is the, you know, a, a legacy of, of really, you know, a, a long time, many, many decades of chemical and industrial production. Um, and, and a lot of that's still ongoing, which, which is really neat. And the idea of taking that and then adding to that clean energy and a clean source of energy as a, as a, a something that produces, um, you know, produces basically renewable energy on that site is a really, it's a fantastic story. It also is something that given the land issues on the island, it's, it's that end of the island has a lot of different activities on it and not a lot of open land space. The, the appealing thing about a project like this is it's actually in the river itself. So it's not taking up real estate. It's not using land that's otherwise useful for other purposes. Um, it really has a, a minimal impact from that perspective. And yet it's adding something that's really missing from that end of the island, which is clean energy. It's an opportunity to kind of, um, you know, kind of include sort of the, the, the technologies you know, that these newer clean technologies, in a sense, um, in, a, in a setting with, you know, existing, uh, you know, technologies that have been there and been operating for, for many, many decades. And, and also to, to add on to what, what, what Paul has said, you know, it doesn't take up land that, that can be used for other things. So, you know, the, the amount of power that all of our county facilities generate is, is, is a lot. I mean, it's, it's a massive amount. We would have to, to for use solar, for example, and a lot of us love solar because it does a lot of good things, renewable, sustainable, but we would need about 165 acres of land mm -hmm. to provide the solar panels, the, the amount of solar panels that would be needed to provide the power that we have. If you take that into a wooded area, for example, that would take out 20,000 trees. 
that's not what we're trying to do. We don't want to have to, you know, take trees, which obviously absorb carbon and are good for environmental impact and, and climate change and those type of things. So when you're talking about this level of power, like a university that we talked about earlier or, or, or the county, um, you, hydro makes the most sense because of the low impact. And again, working with the core and, and the other agencies to make sure that it's in place makes a lot of sense. Solar, again, makes sense. We put it on your roof, on, on a building. But when you need the kind of power that major institutions do, you would be taking up a whole lot of land. And it's fascinating, given all of that, and given the, the relatively low impacts of hydropower, and looking around southwestern Pennsylvania, I mean, we've got some existing infrastructure, I would think, that would work for this. You know, I guess I'm wondering, are there more opportunities to do projects like this using dams or structures that are already in place? Yeah, that's that's a great question, and we we do have it at Rye. We've got a, a total of ten projects in the in the broader southwestern Pennsylvania region, um, and the potential is there for many many more. I mean, it's this is, you know, you think about the the rivers, um, the amount of of topography that you've got in terms of vertical drop, and there's tremendous potential within the state. And really, you know, the the area around southwestern Pennsylvania is unique in the country. Um, there's, there's very few areas with that many potential good projects. There's, there are over about 90,000 dams in the U.S., and only about 3% of those have power on them. And what you look for in those is what I described earlier, are dams that are there for an essential purpose. And the dams that were built for transportation throughout the region and are still used for transportation are great candidates for these types of projects. Obviously, it takes a lot of, of environmental and regulatory studies to kind of get to the point of being able to, to really identify, you know, the, the candidates that make the most sense to move forward. But to answer your question at a, at a high level, absolutely. I mean, this is, this is one of the, the areas of the country that has a really a wealth of these types of resources um, that really can be added without, you know, without making a, a substantial impact on the environment, which is, is really a, a really incredibly positive thing. Yeah, and, and the good news along those lines, I mean, you think about how the Pittsburgh region really came about centuries ago. It was the rivers. It was the rivers, why people came here, why industry came here, why so many people, uh, we fought, there was a war fought over the, the, the you know, the, the, the Seven Years' War, the French and Indian War, to, to control these rivers. Um, and now, and, and we didn't always treat the rivers well. I mean, we know for our industrial past that these rivers were, were abused in many ways. And now we're using the rivers to improve our environment. So we're, we're, the rivers are going to power our buildings and power the things that we need uh, to operate today. And they're going to be part of an environmental strategy that's going to prevent and, and reduce climate change and environmental impacts. You know, Rich, I'd like to hear more about the county's broader climate agenda and where this project fits in with that. You, you started off talking about wanting to make operations more sustainable. This obviously is a huge step in that direction. The county's carbon footprint is is smaller now or will be. Um, I, but I'm wondering, is, is there a bigger role for local government to play in catalyzing this kind of clean energy development? You know, when, when a big institutional purchaser steps forward and says, yes, we're going to invest. Does that have the effect of encouraging others to do likewise? Yeah, and, and we want to make sure we continue along those lines. And I can tell you, in the last eight years, for example, we've planted 7,000 trees in, in our county parks and throughout Allegheny County. Uh, we've reduced our CO2 emissions even before this 
by 16% over the last five years. Uh, we, we're turning two of our nine county parks into net zero parks in which they will actually produce more energy um, than they consume using solar and wind and geothermal. Um, I mentioned early on that we were one of the earliest ones to sign on to the Green Building Alliance um, and, and using our partnerships with the corporate community and our nonprofits and our big institutions to have more square footage of office space um, uh, under the goals in which we've set them out to reduce carbon footprint, uh, carbon usage by 50% by 2030. Uh, and this kind of also follows along with the, the Biden administration plans that, that they're putting out there. So we're continuing to do these things. We will have the largest solar uh, farm uh, at our Allegheny County Airport Authority at the Pittsburgh International Airport, again, generating a lot of electricity uh, through sustainable practices. And we're putting them uh, on our community college, solar panels on our, our community college uh, campus buildings, and we'll continue to do that. We're going to turn our biggest bus uh, operation, our BRT line that, that connects the two biggest employment centers with electric buses. So we're going to we're going to continue to go in these directions as these opportunities uh, show themselves. Really, when we're talking about climate, the the sustainability piece so often goes hand in hand with resiliency and the ability of communities to absorb and weather disruptions. And, and it seems to me that this is another one of those sort of happy convergences. Um, could you talk about that, either of you, really? What what makes hydro conducive to the goal of resiliency at, at the local level? You know, it's the, the great thing about hydropower is that, and unlike wind and solar, you know, what what we're dependent on is is the river and and rainfall and you know sort of the, those broad climate uh, considerations so what we see is you know that basically you're going to be generating power as long as the river is running and that that's one of the unique things about the three rivers um, the system that the army corps manages is that all of the major upstream tributaries um, to the rivers are managed and controlled by the army corps so you know if, if you think about you know the 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 potential for floods has decreased dramatically with that. The potential for dry riverbed conditions, um, you know, with, you know, you, you think of George Washington riding his horse across the Mon, you know, that's something that can't happen. And the reason it can't happen anymore is that the Army Corps is managing those. So they're managed waterways, which means it's a much more consistent flow. And we've got data that goes back to the 1930s um, for the rivers because they're gauged by the, by the uh, USGS and the Army Corps of Engineers. And there's ample data to demonstrate exactly how they react and how the systems as a whole react to different conditions, drought, heavy rain, you know, sort of everything in between. And what that means is 24-7, that's generating power. And that's really different from other types of renewables. And certainly there's a, there's a role for all of those um, as we go forward. When you, you think about fighting climate change, you know, what, what do you need? And it's probably all of the above. But hydropower is a unique one and means that, you know, in the, in the worst weather, um, when, you know, you're in the midst of, of a snowstorm, um, you know, the hydropower will be running. And, you know, that's, that's, those are conditions where the, you know, you'll see solar panels having problems and the wind may be off because of high speeds, the, the solar still, the hydro rather is still going to be operating. And, and that's something that, so from a resiliency perspective, it's unique in that regard. And typically hydro has been relied on by utilities to provide what's called black start, which is if the entire system goes down, you need to have spinning mass to restart the system and to create the synchronization that's necessary to bring the other projects back online. 
And hydro has traditionally played that role for the same reason, because you're not, you're not lighting something up. It's not a furnace. It's not, um, you're not dependent on some other resource. It's just the water that's already going down the river anyway. So from that perspective, it's, it's a very reliable resource. Rich, you were talking about how this project ties in in a really sort of poetic way with with Pittsburgh's history and the role that rivers have played economically, you know, culturally for us throughout the years. You know, as you know, because I know you're a big proponent of outdoor recreation, you know, recreation and tourism these days account for a big portion of the economic value of these waterways. So as we're talking about harnessing the power of the Ohio River to generate clean energy, what are the issues that we were dealing with in terms of those uses coexisting with recreation and, you know, other ways in which rivers are, are, are part of the day-to-day life of Pennsylvanians? Can those different uses coexist and, and maybe even reinforce and enhance one another? Well, I, I certainly think they can in this instance because it's not impacting in any kind of a negative way the recreational uh, the trails that are that are built along the rivers um, will have no impact, no no negative impact on that. And again, over the years, we have seen uh, our industrial past in which the rivers were, in essence, uh, we were cut off from the rivers. You know, they were used just for for freight and for rail and for industry, and you know, so they weren't really available for the general public to. To, to boat and swim and fish and all, you know, the, the, the things that, you know, people want to use the rivers and the scenery and, and just the, the, the connection to, to water. So to use the rivers now, uh, again, to help with the environment, but also for, for all of us to be able to enjoy the beauty and the tranquility and the recreational aspect of what the rivers uh, bring adds to our quality of life, adds to our desirability for people to move here, to stay here, to grow businesses here, and to be part of a, an economic ecosystem that, you know, we want to we want to grow uh, for, for the next generation and for, for young people and opportunities. So this goes hand in hand with an economic strategy. It's not an either or, oh, you got to pick jobs versus the environment. This does both. This is a win-win across the board. So these are the kind of things I think we want to we want to continue to do. It also sends a signal for people to say I want to, you know, should I move to Pittsburgh? Should I move to the Pittsburgh region? Yes, because we're a community that cares about our environment. We care about our quality of life. It's a good place for you to come and raise your family. Well, as you mentioned, this news comes at the same time as the Biden administration is rolling out its climate agenda, its its energy policy going forward. And those those agendas, I think, include a number of things that the county and, and the city of Pittsburgh, like other metros across the country, have already kind of been working on these last few years by way of things like the 2030 district initiative. Um, I'm wondering, as the administration changes in D.C., what the outlook looks like to you for local, state, federal cooperation, coordination on energy and climate issues well, I think it's I think it's going to be very positive, and I think again, as the Biden administration laid out their goal to reduce uh, or become net zero by by 2030 and be totally off of uh, fossil fuel usage by 2050, you've got to have make progress towards that. And 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 in some ways, there's often a cost up front, a capital cost, uh, and particularly for local governments to to make these investments. So I think you're going to see out of the Biden administration um, some infrastructure uh, investments that are going to, going to be made along those lines. And I can tell you, 
that, that Congressman Doyle and Congressman Lamb are you know, people that represent us in Washington uh, in, in, in from Allegheny County are very supportive of this. And they're very, you know, proactive in, in trying to make sure that, you know, that type of legislation and those type of infrastructure plans get put into place at the federal level, because these are the kind, I mean, some of these projects are so big and they need that massive investment from, from Washington that local governments just wouldn't have the resources to be able to do it alone. Yeah. The, the, the funding and, you know, that piece of it is, is so critical. And so often that's what it comes down to when we're talking about hydropower. Why, you know, why don't we have more or could we have more low impact hydropower in Pennsylvania? Paul, I'm, I'm curious what you would say are the sort of right now, the biggest barriers to more widespread deployment of, of low-impact hydropower? What could the state, the federal government, others do to, to help spur that development? And, and this is, you know, this is, it's also nice to get an easy question. And I think that the kind of commitment that the county has shown to this project is exactly what's going to bring these projects forward. So, you know, the, the, these, these projects, in order to get finance, need to have offtake agreements in place with you know, credit-worthy counterparts who are demonstrating that they're making a commitment to the project. And that is really the, the, the key to getting these developed. And it does, you know, these, these take a very long time and they're very different from other types of projects in that the time scale is much longer. The approval process is very detailed because you know, we're building these on, on waterways. And so that's, that's a, a sort of a different class of, of development in terms of the amount of effort and time that that takes. And that it is that process that is more costly for investors to go through. But really, the single biggest thing is having the community signal its acceptance and support of the project by, you know, through entering into power purchase agreements or by helping, you know, the, the, the industrial and commercial customers in the area see the value of having these types of projects in place. So it's really that, you know, that's the, the single biggest difference maker. Is well, I want to congratulate you both on this milestone and, and thank you for joining me, Paul Jacob with Rye Development, the CEO and Allegheny County Executive, Rich Fitzgerald, my guest just now. Gentlemen, thanks again for being here. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Bye now. Thanks very much. Impact hydropower is, of course, just one among many tools that Pennsylvania will need to deploy if we're going to get power sector carbon emissions to zero. Wind, solar, and other renewables are a big part of the equation, too. So are energy efficiency upgrades, carbon sequestration, carbon pricing, grid modernization, and a whole lot of sound policy to back it all up. PEC has been studying all of these solutions and more for upwards of a decade, and we have just published an update to our most recent set of recommendations from 2019. You can read that report and learn all about PEC's deep decarbonization policy push at pecpa.org slash climate. That's P-E-C-P-A dot org. And there you can find past episodes of the Pennsylvania Legacies podcast, including links to topics we discuss on the show. And of course, all you need to know about Peck's program work in watersheds, trails and outdoor recreation, communities and landscapes, and of course, energy and climate, all at peckpa.org. Follow us on Twitter at PECPA. We're also on Facebook and Instagram. And we'd love to hear from you by email at legacies at peckpa.org. That's all for this edition of Pennsylvania Legacies. For the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, I'm Josh Rollerson. Thanks for listening. <music>